in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would all the kids and teens up through the 12th grade please come forward. I want to be able to see you. Kate, see you. Come over here. Good morning, everyone. How are you all? Good morning. Where are you going? Okay, so Jesus, the gospel tells us that Jesus today is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that he's been teaching in the synagogues and everyone's amazed at what he says. And then he goes home. He goes to Nazareth where he grew up. And when he goes into the synagogue, he opens what we would call the Bible, but it's a scroll. You unwind it and you read wherever you want to read. And he read from the book of the prophet Isaiah that said, the spirit of God is on me. And the people in the synagogue, the people that he grew up with as a little boy, well, he was already older than, than this one because he went to Bethlehem first and then Egypt and then to Nazareth. But he grew up in Nazareth. And so because it was such a small town, a very small town, I think she likes you. This is he or she. I think she likes you. And so he grew up in a small town. So everybody knew each other. And so here's, they've, they've, they've read about it on Facebook. He's done all these wonderful things, all these wonderful things in all these other synagogues. And, and they're, so they're expecting a lot from Jesus. But this is the boy we knew when he was growing up. And so he, talk, he reads scripture and then he begins to talk. And he says, he says, basically he says, I'm the one. Basically, that's what he says. I'm the one, Jesus said. And we don't get to the rest of the story today in the gospel reading, but next week it turns around and it's not good. Because what they expected of Jesus, because they knew him when when he was a little boy, it was hard for them to understand that he was the son of God. They wanted to see the works he was doing. They didn't want to believe in who he was. And I guess that's a little bit unfair for the people of Nazareth because Jesus was just beginning. And according to the scriptures, Mary kept all these things kind of secret in her heart. And so Jesus didn't do all kinds of miracles and they didn't talk about him being the son of God when he was growing up. But when he was 30 years old and goes back home and they're remembering from here to here to here to here. They remember all that. I don't, uh, I don't blame them for not really understanding fully yet. I pray and hope that the people of Nazareth, his hometown, began to understand that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't understand it that night in the synagogue. But I pray and hope that they began to understand. Because if they didn't, their lives are lost. If they did, their lives are turned around and saved and they will be with the Father forever.
And it's the same with us. We don't believe in Jesus because he answers prayers or doesn't answer prayers. We believe in Jesus because he is the son of God and he has the power to save us each and every day, not just the rest of eternity, but each and every day. So in your hearts, believe, yes, in the power of God, but believe that he is your savior because he's the one that can turn your life around. Okay, you're listening. You are finally listening. Did you get it? Did you get it? <laughs> huh? Where you going? Okay, come on. <laughs> Look at you. I got daddy wrapped around my finger, it says. Okay. Okay, listen, you're going to go this way because it's time to go, okay? It's time to go. There we go. All right, thank you for coming up. Thank you. Good to see y'all. You know, while you're there. Thank you. What I'm about to tell you, for those of you who are still working and go into an office, might really help you in a bad situation, so listen closely. These are the five best things to say at work if you get caught sleeping at your desk. Number five, they told me at the blood bank this might happen. Number four, ah, this is just a 15 minute power nap that, that, that they raved about in that time management course you sent me to. Number three, Whew. guess I left the top off the whiteout. You probably got here just in time. And I realized that maybe three quarters of you know what whiteout is. The rest of you don't know what whiteout. Number two, did you ever notice the nice sounds coming from these keyboards when you get, put your ear real close? And the number one best thing to say if you get caught sleeping at work is you raise your head slowly and you say, in the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> I heard an old, an old one about a pastor who went visiting at someone's house. He knocked and he knocked and he knocked, but no one came to the door. He looked through the window. The TV was on. He knew somebody was there. And so he slid one of his cards under the door. But before he did that, he had written a scripture verse on it, Revelation 3.20. And I know that all of you know what Revelation 3.20 says, but just in case you've forgotten, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I will come in. Well, a few days later, he was at church and a card came in the mail with a woman's name on it. Also on the card was a scripture verse, Genesis 3.10, which says, I heard thy voice and I was naked, so I hid myself. There's something that you all ought to know about Jesus. If the synagogue door was open, he was probably inside. The Gospel of St. Luke describes the habit of Jesus with these words. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he went to the synagogue as was his custom on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. 
Now this event follows two very emotional encounters that Jesus had had. He had received the baptism of John in the River Jordan and begins to realize this tremendous thing that was happening. And I'm not sure, I can't say, I don't know the answer to this, whether he already knew all of these things or whether he just realized this was beginning of his ministry revealing what he already knew. I don't know that answer. But he at once, after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness to prepare for his ministry. For 40 days, Satan tempts him. It's after this time of trial that he returns coming back to his, towards his hometown to the synagogue in Nazareth. And he enters it. And he knows who he is. A voice from heaven had just told him, you are my beloved son. I am well pleased with you. So the time has now come for him to begin his ministry. He's ready. He sets his, sorry, he sets his direction. So he returns to the place of worship, which he had known as a child. There's nothing like going home. Of course, the people are older now, and some of them have gone or died. But those who remain treat you as if you are the same child that you were in your growing up years. And when you're with them, in a way, you really are the same child. You're the boy or the girl who grew up there, and now you're home. And they say, let me look at you. Look how tall you've gotten. How lovely you are. Or sometimes they might even say, look how much weight you've gained. At the family reunion, well, you're Helen and Bob's boy, aren't you? And you just, you just grin and you say, yes, ma'am. You know, I imagine it was kind of like that for Jesus, maybe going back to Podunk, because Nazareth really was Podunk. Nazareth was like this little backwater water village with one red light, a greasy spoon, with a gas pump out front, whose neon sign is probably predictive, eat at Joe's, get gas. <laughs> it's a town so small that you don't have a first Nazareth church because there's not a second Nazareth church. There's only one synagogue in this town whose sign, Welcome to Nazareth, boasts of a population of 200 or maybe even less according to some historians. Imagine Jesus filing into the synagogue that evening. It was the synagogue where he used to worship every Sabbath, sitting next to his father who probably smelled of wood carvings. He learned not only his Torah, his scripture there, but he also learned his ABCs there. Perhaps as he enters on this night, he spies the bench where he used to sit with the other children to learn. There's nothing like going home. It's wonderful, but it's not quite the same. He looks around at all the familiar faces and they smile back at him. They've heard such good things about him. And tonight they will see, because tonight is his first sermon in a hometown church. Now, synagogue worship in the time of Jesus was something of an informal affair, but very familiar to us. The service consisted of prayers and the reading of scripture, 
comments by one or more males of the adult males of the congregation, and then offerings, alms for the poor. You'll see the same thing in our liturgy, except we've added more because of the resurrection. An invitation to read and speak could be extended by the elders to anyone they choose. And it was the custom for the reader to stand when he read the scripture and then to sit when he gave his commentary or his sermon. Luke's gospel tells us that when Jesus stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where these words were written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, we don't know what the people in the synagogue were doing that evening when Jesus read these words. Maybe some of them, like you, might be tuned out right now and you're not hearing a word I'm saying. Their eyes might be glazed over, their minds wandered. They'd heard these words from Isaiah probably many times before. Maybe some of the listeners tried to pay attention, but they got bored, got, got bored or lost along the way. And maybe some of them were wondering what Jesus was going to say when he finished reading the scripture. But regardless of how the congregation listened to the scripture, it was what happened next that got everyone's attention. Jesus rolled up the scroll and then he sat down. And then, as the Gospel of Luke tells it, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. It was that hush, that pregnant pause, that silent shiver of excitement which comes when the orchestra conductor raises his baton and the music is about to begin, or when the batter is standing in the batter's box waiting for the first pitch of the big game. You can almost sense the people in the synagogue just leaning forward with a sense of expectancy. Jesus looked out at the waiting congregation, no doubt waited a beat or two. And then he said what none of them could ever have guessed he would say. He said, today, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If Jesus went back to the synagogue to set direction, he suddenly found it in scripture. It was this passage from the prophet Isaiah which clarified his mission. It was this passage that confirmed who he was. It was this passage that described himself to let the congregation know what he was about. It was also a passage that he had read many times before and perhaps he had even read it to this congregation. But suddenly now it was different. But according to our gospel reading, all the congregation can say is, wow, nice sermon. You can really read well. Your family must be so proud. Isn't that Joe's boy? And the truth is they haven't heard a word he said. They've heard a nice little sermon on a familiar text. 
Hometown boy makes good. That's what they expected and that's what they got. And I think that's an important lesson for us to hear. We don't get if we don't expect. We come to church expecting just the same old, same old. And that's what we get, the same old, same old. But if we come to church expecting to experience something holy, something miraculous, something from God, then that's what we get. The problem with going home or coming to church is that they don't listen to you because they think they've already heard whatever you're going to say. You're homegrown just like them. They don't think about what God the Holy Spirit can do in the heart. Like the devil who had just tempted Jesus with success the easy way out. Of course, Jesus didn't give in. Perhaps this hometown crowd in Nazareth has tempted Jesus with mediocrity, the easy way out. If we listen carefully to the words of Jesus that were spoken in the synagogue, we discover something else about direction. Jesus, he rolls up the scroll, he looks directly at the congregation and he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We've come to find out as post-resurrection Christians that the fulfillment was in the person of Jesus himself. What he had to say was about a new world, a world that was being set free. The words he used in the prophet Isaiah were release and recovery and liberty and proclaiming. When we listen and know that in these words exist the living presence of Jesus, when we listen and know that they contain unbelievable power, then we discover our fulfillment by receiving release and recovery and liberty in Jesus. You know, one of the frustrations of our time and maybe of all generations, is that we have no power over what happens in this world. Despite all of our efforts, all of our good intentions, we cannot have things the way we want them. We cannot stop the world from changing. We cannot stop what seems to be the decay of society. It's as if we're all trapped. When we feel like this, it's easy for us to fall into despair. But to hear about release and about recovery and about liberty in Jesus is to know the possibility of being rescued from the trap. And that's what this fulfillment is all about. Now, if Jesus had quit where our text quits in today's gospel reading, he would have convinced the hometown crowd that the Holy Spirit has been given to this hometown boy to simply cuddle up to them and to keep them warm. But we know that God has bigger fish to fry by, by sending his son. You know, the wideness of God's heart 
is about to collide with the narrow-mindedness of the people of Nazareth and perhaps with our own narrow-mindedness as well. Before the Sabbath sermon is finished, in that sleepy Nazareth synagogue, the crowd that had first hailed Jesus as hometown boy made good. You're disrupting my sermon. Before the Sabbath sermon is finished in that sleepy Nazareth synagogue, the crowd that first hailed Jesus as hometown boy made good. They will want to hang him. But that's in next week's gospel lesson. Until then, I want you to think about this. The greatest tragedy in the world is to lose God and not even miss him. The greatest tragedy in the world is to lose God and not even miss him. Because I believe that's what happened in Nazareth that day. The people were losing God and they didn't even know it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.